Hello and welcome to the Glamshuary podcast, where we talk about the experiential outdoor hospitality industry. I'm your host, Bobby Marsden. We're excited to have you with us on this episode where we speak with John and Lily Kessel, who own and operate Puma Hills Mountain Retreat, which is nestled deep in the Rocky Mountains of Colorado. John and Lily are firm believers that we can heal through nature, and I would 100% agree with them. In this episode, we'll dive in deep and John and Lily will explain some of the fantastic programs that are offered at their retreat. And they also offer wonderful advice to anyone out there who's thinking about opening up their own glamping operation. All that and more. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. Hello, John. Hello, Lily. Welcome to the Glampshire podcast. Good to see you, Bobby. So for listeners out there, I had the pleasure of staying at Puma Hills uh, back in 2022 in the fall. Unfortunately, I missed both John and Lily. They were traveling abroad, uh, I'm sure up to some very busy things, hopefully some very fun things. My wife and I had an amazing time, though, uh, in their absence uh, at Puma Hills, and we'll certainly dive into all the things we saw and experienced, and uh, we'll learn a little bit more about what John and Lily have uh in the planning stages because it certainly looked like when we were visiting there there was some things under construction some things were completed and it was interesting to just kind of see the vision coming to fruition uh as as we were there but before we dive in uh to puma hills of course um, i'd love to get to know you both a little bit better um john i know that you have uh, a history in athletics with volleyball and lily uh, I tried to look around the internet a little bit, but I couldn't find much. Um, so <laughs> rather than me try and tee that up, I'd love for you to just both kind of give me your background of, of who you, I guess we're going to say are and were before Puma Hills, uh, came to fruition. And John, uh, I'll start with you and then Lily, if you want to pick it up and just tell me and our listeners a little bit about yourself. All right. Well, I came to Colorado over 50 years ago to go to Colorado College, and I pretty much never left. Um, and, you know, the, the dream of what we're talking about here began when I was at Bob's Matthias Sierra Boys Camp and saw how that experience impacted my life moving forward. <clears throat> and then after 30 plus years at USA Volleyball and with the International Federation, um, I, I was, uh, COVID retired, you might say, which has allowed me to spend full time on this project. Um, but because of the overlapping dream that Lily and I had, I have always wanted to do something like this, um, to impact people through the wild. I mean, that's what happened when I was in the Sierras, uh, <laughs> in the 1960s. So Lily, uh, luckily, uh, has similar and uh, passionate impact on, on people, and together we were able to get this place uh, about five or six years ago. And she's the visionary, so I'll let her take over from here, but she's the one that's been really making it come to come to life in a beautiful way. That's not quite true. This is, a, this is absolutely, it takes a village, um, but I'm a mom of three, and... Um, presently still working, um, running a government contracting firm out of Virginia. Uh, but obviously my, my passion is the work we're doing in Puma Hills. And um, as you'll find out, um, this is much more than um, for us, uh, a beautiful place. I mean, we have a mission and uh, part of it is obviously the glamping part helps support the mission. So I look forward to be able to share that uh, story with you. Well, that's wonderful. And, and having a mission behind what you do, I think, is sometimes what carries you through those, those challenging moments. And, and running a business, there's certainly many. <laughs> and something has to carry you through and, and, and keep you going. And I think you know, that's an interesting segue. Uh, I did read an article. Uh, it looked like a Colorado Springs periodical, but... Uh, John, your quote in there was, a perfect day for me is when veterans and first responders wake up on a luxurious heated mattress pad in the lodge and may start their day with a program like music therapy to counteract their feelings of isolation. 
And in that sense, was that the impetus for why you wanted to do Puma Hills? Was there an idea of, I want to support the veterans and I feel I could do it this way? Or did you get the land because you wanted to explore nature and then uh, supporting veterans kind of manifested itself? Was there one before the other or did it all just kind of come together at the same time? No, I, no, I, I don't know what, Lily. We probably, over a decade, were looking for property for veterans. And then we kind of, in the COVID and Haiti earthquake impact, uh, when the big one hit in Port-au-Prince, um, those two things, plus both Lily and I go back to the Paralympics in 1996 in Atlanta, where we both were working. I was a producer for the volleyball venue, and Lily was helping the standing Paralympic volleyball side of things. So you're working around those disabled, amazing athletes. And, you know, back then it wasn't embraced as much by the Olympic Committee as, as it is now. The, in 1995, the um, Amateur Sports Act added Paralympics. Up until then, there wasn't any of the disabled side. And they play sitting volleyball and they play a beach standing volleyball. And, and I was just impacted greatly by them. Certainly from my perspective, um, it was actually first responders that was the main impetus for this. And that was uh, my experience in Haiti. Um, we put together an amazing team uh, from Harvard that were in emergency preparedness and, and, um, we were down there for quite some time and it was very clear at the end of the day when you get together with these professionals that the question you're here to help everybody else who helps them it was it was transformational for me and so when we came back then it was looking for a retreat center to be able to come full circle for those people that serve and then of course because we did so much work with veterans it was just um, unobvious for first responders and veterans. And the whole idea of finding a place in the wild is wilderness healing. Um, for me, that's always been my escape, you know, whether it's water, mountains, you know, the minute I'm outside, I'm feeling 100% better. So we were hoping to create an environment that could, could help in that process. Yeah, I agree. Uh, being outside, I mean, we're, we're, we're nature-driven beings who, for whatever reason, have chosen oftentimes to confine ourselves <laughs> inside. Um, and, I, and I think with COVID, is, you know, that was probably pretty eye-opening for people when they actually had to be confined to say, wow, I want to be outside. And I think that's what's been helping this trend of experiential hospitality and glamping be a growing business. Um, John, you mentioned uh, you were looking for 10 years for a property, which which I've certainly talked to people where they found it in their first look. And I've talked to some other people who also looked sometimes upwards of a decade. How was that process for you? You know, I mean, were you looking for something specific and just not finding it? Uh, or was it more just uh, you weren't sure where you wanted to go and you were trying to hone in on that? How did that process start for you and how did you work through it? Good question. For me, it was um, looking for the kind of right space in Colorado that could be afforded and was near Denver and near Colorado Springs because of all the bases there for vets. And at the same time, um, had access to national forests that we found what we found on my birthday, what, six years ago, I was just sitting in bed, Google, hit Google and said Colorado land bordering national forest for sale and hit the button and Outpost Wilderness Adventure, which had been a 30-year uh, project for a guy named Dave Appleton out of Texas doing kids fly fishing, backpacking, mountain biking, and rock climbing. He had had a stroke and he was um, going to have to let go of this property, this hidden valley up outside of the Terry Halls. And I looked at it 
looked at the price and kind of think I handed the computer over to you, Lily, and said, we got to go look at this place. <laughs> you know, it's so it's because I didn't think in the other searches that Lily had done on her own, as well as I tagged along on some of them, you know, it, 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 you know, one of the places was back outside of Victor and we drove an hour on a dirt road and beautiful and 160 acres and a lake and surrounded by it. But I think you got car sick on the drive in. <laughs> and then on the way back out, I remember saying to her, I don't want to drive an hour on a dirt road just to get milk. You know, it's just not quite there. Plus it didn't have electricity enough for the other places. So, I don't know, Lil, you, you looked at more places than I did. What, it, what, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I just knew when we found the right place that we would know it. And um, when, we drew, when we drove into that valley, that was it. That was it. And we must have looked at, and I'm not a, I'm not a window shopper, but I, I must, must have looked at 40 properties, you know, and it was, it was just that quick. And it just got, the feeling just got stronger and stronger. It was amazing. Really was. Although I think Bobby, when he, she drove up, <laughs> the building was had been a beautiful log cabin that the Mormons had built in 1952, and then it burned down in September of '98 because of a com spontaneous combustion of the rags and the stain that they were doing to preserve the wood of the deck, and they went on a mountain bike ride, and the place got on fire and burned to the ground. So he rebuilt it out of concrete or steel beam structure and then con poured concrete and then painted it brown. I remember Lily saying, <laughs> it looks like a drug rehab center in the middle of the forest. <laughs> it wasn't very pretty. Well, it sounds like the land spoke to you because <clears throat> it always starts with, with that, right? And and the structures and things, you know, those can be changed, but the land will always be there and it's always kind of its own entity. So I've heard many times that people just felt that it called and that they felt home. They felt some sense of belonging there that they hadn't felt other places. And if you're going to, I think, build a business uh, that you want to create connectivity uh, for people, you need to be connected to that place the strongest because it's really going to emanate out from you. Um, so it sounds like when you found it, it, it had been up and operational for a while. It had been a couple different things. It had some structures on it, probably had some permitting and, and things in place. Um, how did the plan kind of progress from obtaining it to then kind of saying, okay, what would we like to do with this? Uh, when we stayed there, we saw a number of different lapping structures. We stayed in the geodesic dome, but we saw shepherd's wagons. We saw uh, teepees, uh, we saw some bubble. And I thought that the variety actually was interesting because a, a lot of places don't have that. Um, and I thought it was kind of cool because if I wanted to come back, I'd probably stay in a different structure and probably have a very different experience. Was that, plan like well how did your planning stages work you got this place it had some structures there but obviously you've evolved it uh so where did you start and how did it evolve yeah i have to say the one thing i'll say about um park county that would be a positive i mean it's a beautiful place working with the county was very difficult but going through the planning process with the county was very very helpful um, because even though I already had done a lot of research on what we were looking to do and how we were going to do it, um, it just put everything in perspective. What can you do versus you can't? So um, when we went for our uh, conditional use permit, we did both a campground and a retreat center. So we, were, we had those designations into perpetuity, which gave us a lot of option. Um, every decision that we made was with and asking the question, is this appropriate or helpful for our mission? And so what at the end of this, what we want to be able to offer is not just a variety of types of lodging, but experiences. So we want to be able to offer for the solo camper that wants to go you know, and spend the day or spend a week alone, 
to you know a soldier that is with suffering from PTSD that has to have the four walls. So right now, what you what you saw is the campground in transition, right? So we have that campground, the hillside that is next to the event center will all be a series of cabins with in the middle uh, is in the heart of that area, there's gonna be a resource center. There's gonna be a, an art studio. There's going to be um, a spa, you know, so you have healings. And then between the glamping village and the cabins, there are gonna be pools that are gonna mimic the beaver ponds but there'll be healing pools with a walking path. That's kind of the, the big picture. We wanna be able to serve and that person that may not be comfortable in the wild, you know, maybe the first experience is a cabin and then you take walks and then you get better and better and closer and more comfortable. Um, so whatever it, we can do to make them feel safe and feel comfortable, which applies to people who are, you know, tourists as well. You know, we I, we find ourselves <laughs> with some folks that come to us and never have camped before. So here, why don't you stay here <laughs> this first night and see how it goes? It's interesting, Bobby. Um, when Lily was talking about yes. I was thinking about we are our view out our front of our valley is this amazing view of McCurdy Mountain at 12,100 feet and, and Bison de Glade, who were named after at 12,5, the highest peak in the Carrials. That is Lost Creek Scenic Wilderness Area, which the people on the other side from Denver, they go up that side from Deckers on 67. But we're on this road called 77 that if you see five cars for 20 miles, that's a traffic and the reason it comes to mind is because of those guests. We get these Europeans who are wanting to ride the Colorado Trail on their mountain bikes, and they have their tent, and they have their everything they need to do. But they come out of Denver, and the first thing you find out is that you have to do a 60-plus mile detour around Lost Creek's unique wilderness area because you can't ride a mountain bike in the sea wilderness area. You can't ride them. So they take this 60 mile detour and they come up to our gate and they're, they're, they're basically all say this. Hi, I'm from uh, England and I just was at 9,000 feet uh, or I was just at sea level two days ago and I've just ridden this 60 mile detour and I'm exhausted. <laughs> Is there any place I can put my bag down here safely? I, I'm just thrashed. And I don't know, uh, it says in this book that you you have dorm rooms, which is what OWA used to be. <laughs> we always say yes, we tend to put them in the teepees on the bed in their sleeping bags so we don't have to remake the bed, you know. And they're like in heaven and thankful. A couple of times we've been invited them in for dinner to find out where they're from. But, some remarkable things have happened because of this detour around Lost Creek Scenic Wilderness Area, which we see as this beautiful thing out our front of our valley. So, good guess. Well, that's very nice of you to offer them accommodation, and I also liked your your English your English accent there. <laughs> I have to make one note on that. We do redo the beds. We don't do what he just said. <laughs> After they sleep on a sleeping bag? <laughs> yeah, not me. <laughs> well, I'm sure they're happy just to have somewhere to, to rest because it, I, I've found that too when I've just done as much research as I can about an area or a place and then traveled there. I mean, there's always things that are going to come up as surprises, sometimes good, sometimes challenging. But it's nice to know that you can offer some respite for them, you know, as they're kind of working through getting familiar with Colorado. And to that point, when we stayed on the property, we did notice that there were a lot of activities and things to do in addition to just, you know, staying in a glamping structure, yeah. which I, I love because I think when people are coming in from out of state or even out of the country, they're very unfamiliar with how to get anything done outside of what they've booked. <clears throat> and uh, there's certainly something to be said for glamping on, Lily, as you said, on top of a mountain and just kind of checking out. But a lot of people come with families or, you know, 
they have a need and a desire to have some activities easily accessible for them so they can enjoy the property. And it's, I think, better for you too, because you can help to create that ambiance. Uh, we were hiking around your property and we found the labyrinth with that, which I thought was great. That just kind of popped up out of nowhere. Uh, we did the archery course, which was super fun. Um, is that something that you also kind of planned on doing, uh, is just trying to create a number of different experiential opportunities on the property to either have it be part of a therapy or just part of something where people can discover it? Absolutely. It, it is definitely been part of the plan it, right down to the, the meals. You know, we have chefs that will want to bring people in and if they want to be part of that, they can be part of that as well. So, yeah. And the interesting thing that when um, when we first opened and again, this was back, you know, we just did a soft opening just to get some feedback. And um, it was stunning to us how nobody went anywhere. Everybody just stayed on property. And um, they would, you know, they would do the archery, they would be the, the lawn games, they would do whatever. And then at night they would all come across and they became friends, you know? It just was, yeah, we thought they, we, we really thought that the, um, the construction was gonna be problematic or people gonna roam up there, none of that. They just hung out there and hiked and then came back and shared stories. It was really, quite moving I thought I'm thinking about another English couple that <laughs> around the fire um, you know they had their first s'mores but that, that's right. you know that <laughs> their first s'mores they had no idea how to make s'mores or anything I still can see that couple in my mind's eye you know that chance to to share that and for the people watching we just don't have an archery range we have a 3d archery range which includes a life-size cougar, bear, coyote, and the piece de resistance is the velociraptor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a great seg that's a great segue into uh, a husband and wife working together. Now, obviously, we I think anyone that's been in a marriage knows that it, it has its intimate personal side and it's, and it's got a business side and, and you try and figure out how to make all those various verticals work. And then if you add in an actual business that you're running, that's a whole other dynamic. Um, how do you, uh, how's the working process for both of you? And have you had kind of through the evolution of this discovered that there is places within the business where you both feel more comfortable and, and have then kind of divided and conquered if that's the approach you took? You go first, Lil. <laughs> okay. See, okay, so here's the, if you heard the oh no, then you know who the boss is in this, in this world. And, and, and I have to say to those of you learning and listening here perhaps today that you got to have a visionary. And that's, in my case, is my wife. I mean, Lily is, Lily sees things that nobody else on the construction crew, nobody else on the chef staff sees. And she has this amazing vision that we all go along for the ride to assist it to come to life. Um, clearly for me, activities is, is part of being in the wilderness. And so um, the chance to have a labyrinth came about in part because we, we hosted a different group that needed to heal. The women's Olympic water polo team leading up to Tokyo stayed with us for 10 days, Bobby. It was five, uh, seven of the 10 days was a silent retreat. Writing on the whiteboard, I don't feel good, doc, and the doc responding, this is what you need to take care of. Um, it, it was, they had, they had won the world championships in June and celebrating in Seoul, Korea, they, the bar collapsed and killed 26 people alone. They all had their own form of PTSD, getting as well as wanting to do successful prep in Tokyo. So they healed in a unique way, thanks to Peter Haverly and the coaches and staff, um, Peter at the US Olympic Committee. They, you know, their 10 days with us was magical for sure. And Lily's got some other people coming 
that she can speak to this summer that is you know part of that same magic but that labyrinth allows for that mindful walking and you know thinking about it and it was just you know built by the team but it was lily's vision that said let's put a labyrinth up here by the uh, meeting tv lily as as it sounds like the visionary and, and john i guess would be the kind of experienced driver uh visionary obviously could include design it could include also future what kinds of things can we build and and then maybe attract different groups uh different events um what kinds of things are you currently operating as far as uh, those types of events and what kinds of things are you maybe looking to plan for for the future because i would mention that you have a beautiful event center that we saw that was almost close to being done i mean this thing was beautiful if i was gonna if, I, if we were gonna redo our vows maybe i would consider coming and doing it there but um you, you had a lot of other things that you look to be in place um so what kinds of things are you doing now uh from from an event perspective and what kinds of things are you hoping to do in the future yeah and um, let me just digress for a moment, because I think the question that you asked um, is a really important one as far as uh, if so, if you just let me give it to my perspective on that. Um, I, I do think it's really important that, um, of course, it depends on how you, or what kind of glamping um, business you're going to do. Uh, but if it's anything that's significant. Um, you really have to understand that it is a business and that you may want to do a lot of things, but, you know, if you don't get that business piece right, it is not going to work. And so, yeah, and then you're going to have challenges, you know, whether it's with the county, with your constructor guy. Um, it's so important because that can put a lot of pressure on a relationship, serious pressure. So um, I think John and I have navigated through that. Uh, and through the COVID um, era pretty well, but it, it's difficult. It, it was difficult. Um, so what we're doing now, we finished the event center and you'll have to come out and see it again. It is really beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. And, you know, John keeps talking about a visionary. That's important to be able to see where you want to be. But the coolest part about our project, I think, is that everyone is engaged even our construction workers are all family now it's it's hysterical when we selected the floor we did a we did a vote there were 12 of us and i told them the rules were you can't tell anybody else what you did they started lobbying each other for the color they wanted you know and it's it's so cool and you have a problem and you bring people together and they say look We've got this beautiful moss wall, but the dimensions are not right. How do we fix it? And between three or four, you get a solution. To, and now it looks beautiful, even though it was not right. So, um, you know, that for us is awesome. So we are we are finishing the event center now, the landscaping that will come in in April, the finishing of the pavers. It's the, the building is really beautiful. We're finishing infrastructure, the hillside, and uh, in the glamping village, we're, we will have bathrooms in our structures, and there will be eco-structures at the end, much less less number, but um, we're going to have kind of a, what I will say, a much higher end experience. However, we still want the teepees. We're, gonna, we're going to have less in numbers and more variety you know we have some already but um i think that adds to wanting to people to come back like you mentioned that was one of the big ones you know so um right now we're finishing infrastructure um the next phase will be the hillside to begin we've got a couple of prototype cabins that we want uh to put up and we'll just start that build yeah, I think, you know, what I hear you saying, a, a couple very important points is you need to look at this as a business uh, to continue to allow your vision, the possibility to be seen and uh, experiential outdoor hospitality has kind of become this broader thing because I do think a lot of people tried glamping alone and did find that it was difficult 
to get the turnover and the turnaround so you really have a lot of income generated. But once you can start to add some experiential offerings, it opens up and expands that audience that can come back in because they also see the vision for themselves. They can either do a wedding there, they could do a corporate event or people that run retreats and wellness programs potentially could see that as the canvas for themselves to come in and, and do that. And it also is cool for you guys too, because you can come up with events and you can come up with fun things to do and, right. and, and run them from your side as well and explore that. To that point, um, you did mention also, it's very important to work with your county, city, uh, any regulatory agencies uh, to make sure you're kind of in, in line with that. And that would be a segue into what kind of advice would you offer for people out there that might be thinking, you know, this sounds great. I listen to John and Lily, I want to do the same thing. Uh, it's a lot to take in. It's a lot to figure out. And, you know, learning from folks like yourself that have kind of went through the process can be helpful for other people uh, to avoid mistakes and sometimes a lot of money uh, spent in the wrong direction. But in addition to speaking to the county, what kinds of pieces of advice would you offer to people who are thinking about trying something like this? Um, first, do your homework, right? Like what you're doing. Uh, because the one of the things that the Glamping Association was hoping to do was try to formalize this more. So you have tiers or whatever, right? You know, do you want to, you know, there's people will call glamping um, just a tent with a bed in it, right? And then there's, so that's glamping. It's not primitive camping, but um, so you got to do your homework. And even though I, I, I personally love to kind of let the ideas come and may, I'm fluid when I want to change something, you know, but the core of the master plan is there. Um, I may decide or we may decide that the eco structures we had looked at two years ago are going to be now this. Um, and that's OK. But you really do have to do your homework. You have to. And again, it doesn't have to be a formal business plan but enough to say, here's what I want to do. And this is what I think it's going to cost. I think <laughs> because sometimes it's more. Um, and then, and then start to implement your plan. Um, can't stress enough the importance to work with whatever city or County that you have to work with to make sure that you have the permits, the conditional use for that land before you buy it. Uh, because that can be a huge problem if you want to, you know, we had a, uh, one of our partners who was out of uh, basalt outside of Aspen um, was looking to set up a, a glamping structure for the work, the philanthropic work he's doing. Couldn't do it. Couldn't do it. So that's really, really important. And though you, even though you want to get into it and start doing it, um, those meetings and even before you buy a piece of land, make sure that whatever it is you want to do on it, it's going to be possible. And I would, I would add to it two, two of Lily's favorite features. Um, in front of the event center, you're going to see a couple of fire pits and then a waterfall or a stream. I and mean, we already have a beautiful rock waterfall for Colorado, at least. And as it, as it moves forward, the rest of the world, the two things you off, you got to really lock down are water, so you don't have to truck it in at uh, you know so many cents on a gallon or whatever, and fire slash fire insurance, I guess I might say, you know, mitigation to the level of fire. Um, the Heyman fire took place. We have a beautiful picture in our newspaper showing the Heyman fire in 2002, 10 miles off to the distance, burning in a set, you know, it was the largest fire up until a couple of years ago at 130,000 acres, looking like a thunderhead. We've had fires across the valley. We've had fires just over the ridge. Our forest is beautiful, but you're, if you're going to go in the wilderness, you're going to have to worry about fire mitigation, 
fire costs of insurance? What does it cost for insurance in the wilderness <laughs> as opposed to a place in Vail that has a fire department? We've got right exactly between Jefferson Como Fire Protection District and a little bit of the properties in Lake George. And they both respond if we see a fire across the way or whatever. Um, I didn't know those two things before this process began. I, you know, I knew water because I'm from Colorado, and, but we have this beautiful stream right there. <laughs> we have a well that's only nine feet deep. Oh, we're in great shape. Right? You, you, you have to really look at water when you're looking at least in, in the West these days because of all the drought situations and the limitations. It might be the thing that stops you from being able to host anybody because you can only truck in water and budget for that. That's all great advice, especially on the preservation and safety side, uh, because that is a crucial part when you start talking about experiences, and especially when they're happening on your property. Um, and, and that if groups that want to come in, they want to know that they're safe and they want to know that their guests that they're inviting are safe. And so I, I applaud you for taking that step to make sure that they can enter, experience, and leave <laughs> feeling great. Yeah, the other the other one that's happening, Lily, maybe you can address it a little bit better than me, but the very first year we had the Fort Collins Department of Wildlife staff came up and stayed for a couple of days at a staff retreat, you know, not in a hotel, but in the wilderness. And now, Lil, don't we have like 300 of them coming for a lunch or something like that from yeah. all over the state of Colorado? Yeah, I think what John's point is, you know, the partnerships that you can develop with the community is really important. I mean, I don't know how many times I called Ian about Colorado Park and Wildlife for guidance and the Army Corps of Engineers for the water. Okay, what can we do? What can't we do? What's the best? You know, um, the, those partnerships, and I call them partnerships because I really feel like it, it goes both ways. Uh, we're good stewards of the land, and we want to make sure that our guests understand that. And that um, those, you know, when we ask them and say, you cannot bring food into your teepees, it's not because we're being hard asses. It's because we're protecting the, the bears from being killed. So... That kind of, um, I think, position where you're educating as well as um, hosting is really important, really important. Yeah, and I, I feel like oftentimes people, when they take vacations, they say, you know, I want to check out. And I actually think you should check in. I think that it's, a, it's an opportunity for your mind to take a vacation the way it likes to take a vacation. And your mind certainly doesn't like to just check out. It likes to be engaged. And if That's you can right. take a vacation and come away, you know, enlightened and enriched, perhaps uh, with more empathy for your surroundings, the lands, uh, what it took to make that possible. You know, I think that that can lead to greater empathy just in general, which I feel like the world could use a little bit more of that. Somebody... When I do clinics around the world, either Zoom or in person, um, my last slide is a picture of the Milky Way, because if we were public land, we would be a dark sky. You know, I mean, it's pitch black there, right? You saw it. And we have a 12-inch telescope and a bunch of 4-inch telescopes on the property, so you can reach and look to the, to the stars. But the... Um, you know, the situation of what we're doing on property uh, in order to protect the bears, uh, we have a, what, nine bear-proof storage containers. So you don't have to rough it too much to go put yourself, put your stuff safely in another place. Um, but we want you to learn about it. So my last slide has this TP with the Milky Way just bright as it can be. And it says... Human beings are the only thing that recharge best when unplugged. Yeah, and it's that's a lot of a lot of context there, a lot of levels <laughs> working within that. But I feel like you guys have done a wonderful job of of creating that and that opportunity for people to do kind of all of it, running the gamut of unplugging, engaging learning, 
Uh, and it sounds like you have a passion for engaging with your guests and, and developing those friendships and a passion for developing those friendships and partnerships uh, with your community. Um, and I think, you know, like-minded attracts like, and sometimes when someone comes in very unfamiliar with these things, you know, they can grow into that mindset. Uh, so I applaud what you're doing. And Lily, I look forward to coming back and, and visiting again and John visiting again. Hopefully you guys will be there this time. Uh, <laughs> we can sit around the campfire and exchange some more stories. So at the conclusion of every podcast, I like to ask a series of 10 questions um, to all of the glamp site glamtuary owners uh, gives a little bit of insight into who you are and how you operate. Uh, there are 10 questions developed by a, a French journalist uh, quite a while ago. His name is Bernard Pibou. And basically these questions are just uh, developed in a way for you to answer off the top of your head. And then if you feel like elaborating on that answer, certainly. Usually these are directed at one person because I'm oftentimes just talking to one owner. I have the luxury of having two people. So what I'm going to do is uh, alternate questions <laughs> uh, for both of you. Um, and if you both feel like you want to answer the same question, you certainly can. But uh, Lily, I'm going to start with you ladies first. Okay. Uh, Lily, what is your favorite word? Islamabad. Now I'm going to go look that up. What does that mean? <laughs> city. I just like the way it rolls. <laughs> yeah, so do I. <laughs> yeah. uh, John, what is your least favorite word? Hate. Hate, hate is used for like, I, I hate this ice cube, right? It, no, hate is for Hitler. Hate is for really horrible things. And then you go down to I dislike or whatever. You don't hate my your cereal. You hate really horrible things. Yeah, I agree. Being in touch with words and your feelings is very important. And I think sometimes words can carry feelings into the wrong spot. So I agree with you. Uh, Lily, what turns you on creatively, spiritually, or emotionally? Walking through the forest. Second place to your husband? Or... <laughs> No, I love that too. And what do you love about that? Now, look, people call that forest bathing, but what, what do you love about that? I, I love the stillness. I, it's, it's, it's the opportunity to really be engaged and be in that moment. I mean, we talk about it, but it's in that environment where I feel I can really get there and I get lost. I mean, my husband will call me and say, where are you? You've been gone for three hours. Yeah, <laughs> I am. <laughs> I didn't even know it. John, what turns you off? Well, so I get the negative side. Yeah. <laughs> not, not, not necessarily, just at the beginning. I'll it this way. <laughs> um, it turns me off. Uh, Close-minded people who you know, just don't look to the science, to the facts, to the spirit, to the, you know, empathy that, that others might be asking for, you know, instead they're just, you know, closed. And I think that starts to go away when you are in the wilderness. Um, you know, that's part of the fun for sure. Yeah, I agree. Uh, Lily, what is your favorite curse word? Carajo. <laughs> Carajo. What is it? Carajo. What What does that mean? Ah, it's a Spanish word. And um, actually, my aunt used to say it a lot. They'll say, vete pa'l carajo, which means like, actually, it means go to the crow's nest on a boat. <laughs> but nobody uses it that way. And I just thought it was, anytime anybody says that, I just have this vision of going up to the crow's nest on a sailboat. Uh, so anyway, I just like it. <laughs> and if your listeners don't understand, Lily was born in Cuba and moved here when she was a little, you know, a munchkin. You know, munchkin. <laughs> and she's wow. still a munchkin. <laughs> well, that'll be a story I'll definitely want to talk with you about her on the campfire. Learn more about that. 
Uh, okay, John. So we're gonna we're gonna turn it for you. Uh, what sound or noise do you love? Who? Um, a a gurgling or a babbling uh, small stream that's big enough to have trout in it, but not too big to be like a river. You know that water on the rocks, and you know because of Lily's work, we've got two of those sounds happening live on the property and I just can't get enough of it. That that sounds wonderful. I can almost hear it. Lily, what sound or noise do you hate? There's that word, John. What sound or noise do you dislike? I dislike <laughs> ringing in my I ears. You. What was that, Lily? Ringing in my ears. Tinnitus. <laughs> Tinnitus. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> I've experienced that. It is, it is no fun. Yeah. John, what profession, other than what you've done or what you're doing now, would you like to attempt? Uh, boy, um, probably fly fishing guide. Um, I mean, I that ability to go to different or live on a stream itself and guide people to the holes. We get to do a little bit of it below the terriol and we've got a beaver pond that we stock with trout so kids can catch trout. But when I say guide, I mean that skill that they travel around the world and they, and they teach people how to catch fish in these beautiful places. And most of my work in volleyball, I'm in a gym, and a gym in Germany and a gym in Australia looks exactly like a gym in the United States. But when you leave and go to Tasmania streams and have a guide that teaches you how to catch fish there, or you leave and go to Italy streams, you know, you see the country. And I think it would be so cool to be a guide and do that as a for a living. Well, that sounds like it's definitely a possibility for you in your future. Mm -hmm. Oh, this is this place is a is the dream uh, that I can't even put into words to to share the property and 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 see the transformation of Olympic athletes or disabled vets or first responders or corporations and you know it's. It's a really magical valley, and I think one of the things, Lily, why don't you address, just because of being able to do it, but just, why don't you address the, the John Anderson's visit to our property and the, and the tree, culturally modified trees that he discovered? Yeah, um, it was amazing. They, this is a guy who wrote a book in his retirement about uh, the Ute Indian prayer trees. And of course, um, we were both fascinated with that and started walking the land and identified what looked like to us prayer trees. So um, John invited him out to the property and sure enough, um, the ones that, he didn't see them all, right, John? No, he didn't, I didn't see them all. Them, yeah. But um, not only did they find prayer trees, and some of them are trail markers, and others are ceremonial and burial, and they're they're generational, because you're talking a ponderosa pine that you're modifying with ligature and so on. It was, and the one that really got me is, and you you were there, I didn't get to meet them. Um, John's wife was one of the trees said this is and we had a, we have a little meeting area under there and he said this is where the chiefs would meet under this tree and i'm like oh my so anyway that that was that's really cool yeah yeah, yeah. next time i'm back there i look forward to seeing yep. that yep. so back to the questionnaire question for you what profession would you never like to attempt I would not like to be a border patrol person. I would like to be an, I would like an animal sanctuary though. 
<laughs> Again, I, I see that that's a possibility in your future. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Final question. I'll ask both of you this. Uh, John, I'll start with you. Sure. If heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? Oh, some Frenchman said this. Wow. Uh, um, welcome. The chocolate is over here, including chocolate ice cream and the the game, the team sport games are over here. Um, welcome to the team. Lily, same question for you. If heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? Your parents are in the back room. Yeah. Well, guys, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk with me today. This was really enlightening for me and uh, hopefully for all of our listeners, I'm sure it was. Uh, there's so much more we could talk about and <clears throat> maybe we will in another podcast, but we certainly will when I come and visit again and we sit around the campfire, have some s'mores. Uh, and I look forward to finally having a chance to meet you guys. So until that happens, I will bid you adieu, but thank you so much. And best of luck in all the things that you're working on. I can't wait to see uh, the progress when I get down there. Yeah. We'd love to have you back. Thanks for your hard work Thank for you. helping others. Absolutely. Thank you, guys. Bye-bye. Thanks again for joining us on the Glamshuary podcast. I hope you enjoyed the conversation I had with John and Lily as much as I had having it. And if you'd like to find out more about what's happening at Puma Hills Mountain Retreat and some of the great programs John and Lily are going to be operating this year, you can do so on their website, which is www.pumahills.com. That is www.pumahills.com. And if you'd like to follow us, you can subscribe right on the website which is www.glamptuary.com. Again, that is www.glamptuary.com. Thanks again for joining us, and we'll see you down the trail.